worlds knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 491. Jason Lingren is with me, and we're going to tackle a little bit of the work from James Shelby Downard. We're going to focus in on King Kill 33. And people should comprehend that this is an alchemical procedure, the killing of the king. It's not so easy to roll it back to the alchemical side anymore. But if you dig, you can find things about it. What people should recognize, and I'll use the banks as the example, since they're failing all over America and nobody's in the street with pitchforks. That's the result of what we're about to talk about. We're all getting initiated into a psycho circus. Most of us don't even know it exists. At some point, it becomes clear that we've been had like 9-11 and nothing is done about it. People are so worn out and discombobulated, they just simply don't give an F anymore. And at that point, the people who did this collect tacit permission. So not only did they do a thing against you or against society, they got away with it. And at the end of the day, nobody did anything about it when they finally knew it was true. That's part of it. But with the banks, to use them as an example, why is it that a bank is a bank? Well, it's named after the bank of a river. Well, why is that? Because the banks of a river hold water, the current, the current sea. You can go all the way through admiralty law. You can go all the way through banking and term after term after definition is pulling from the natural world where there is no lie. And why is that? Well, because a river works in the, in the way it works. There's no lie there. It is provably true. You can demonstrate it over and over and again that this is how water reacts when it's in a river or between two banks or anything. So then these ideas are leveraged out into a system. And that's really kind of the closest I can come to explain it. So it's all based in the truths of nature, but then it gets abrogated into the systems of men. But the systems of men and particularly dark systems, don't have any creative power. They have to steal the creative power, which is part of what's going on in these alchemical procedures. They're taking your energy. And what is a bank doing? Uh, you're underwater. You're, you know, you're overdrawn. You're, it's energy. It's your energy. You worked for that money. Your energy created all this. So just try to keep these things in mind as we go through it. But I will mention, we just this morning put out the Michael Hoffman episode, and I'm already seeing people searching through Amazon and finding out one of the new kinds of censorship, where some of the related texts are now over 3000 bucks. I have one, I forget the name of it, Michael Hoffman mentions it. Uh, I saw it go above 300 I saw it go about 500 Then one day I saw it go to 200 and I wasn't happy about it, but I thought, okay, I'll grab it. And I did. It's now over a thousand. It's a hundred page softback book. And by the way, it's not mind blowing per se what's in it. It relates basically if you've read King Kill, it's all plays on that. Or if you've read the story of um, what we have of Shelby's life. But anyhow, let's jump in, Jason, and, and try to do what we can here. Well, it's time to go with the flow. Keep it between the banks. James Shelby Downard, who lived from March 13, 1913 until March 16, 1998, was an American author. Most of his written works have been published in various anthologies from Feral House and examined occult symbolism, twilight language, and various synchronicities behind historical events throughout the 20th century. He examined various Masonic conspiracies and held the belief that Freemasons were responsible for the assassination of President John F. Kennedy through a ritual known as the killing of the king. All right. As I said, it's very difficult to get information about killing of the king. And I imagine that, you know, everything that Shelby, James Shelby Downard put out is pretty much censored. As far as I know, the only place you can get a copy of King Kill is through Michael Hoffman from his website. And I could be wrong. And I do know that there are other books that have extracts. Matter of fact, most of the books that relate to James Shelby Downard are extracts um, from King Kill. But there are a few things you should grab. You should grab King Kill if you've never read it and pay attention to, to the tools he's handing you. What does the geography have to do with the place? What is geomancy? 
Does a name have a meaning? How is that meaning being used? What was the history of this place where this occurred? All these things he lays down to show how the dark machinations are priming up to deliver their energy through their ritual. The other thing I would say is if you haven't got it, go get Michael Hoffman's book called Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. I think it's one of his older books, but it is in the same vein. He's kind of, in my view, not far from the mindset of the time that he spent with James Shelby Downard. And as everyone should know by now, Hoffman co-authored and edited King Kill. From the preface of King Kill 33, the late James Shelby Downard's primal way of looking at things, which is the way I think ancient man perceived the world, encompasses a vision that detects every link and every symbol, beginning with the significance of names, then places, and then the obsessive actions which stem from the confluence of the two and which have come to be known as ritual. Publisher Adam Parfrey, who first brought Shelby's work to a mass audience, states, In Downard's writings, the products of his subconscious bubble to the surface and catalyze painstaking research. The collision of the poetic against the logical works especially well in the field of conspiracy. It remains the freshest approach to a field of inquiry. So basically, if we didn't have King Kill 33, I can't imagine where information like this ever would have come from. Maybe there are sources out there that I'm not aware of. You can look up a few publishers or authors. Adam Parfrey is one. Go Rightly is the other one, which is a nom de plume, I'm pretty sure. The scope and breadth of what James Shelby Downard knew about America is astonishing. The history, how things were set up, who did it, why it was done in the way it was done, and it's not even close to the history we've been handed. And it's all been done with basically I wanted to use lay term spellcasting and underhanded methods. And so these texts that we've been handed give you a way to think about these world events. And it's almost any world event. When I was first exposed to this and I was blown away at first and I was thinking, come on. But then I started to apply it and then I realized the value. And another thing we should say here, in some of the writings you can get that try to outline James Shelby Downard's life, and I'm not sure which text they are because actually Michael Hoffman sent me a bunch personally that were just meant for me. And as he mentioned in the episode we just did, he has a whole box of things that someday may make it out to the world. But there's a story about James Shelby Downard from the time he's very young. And in it, he ends up in places like, I think it's Jekyll Island, where Alexander Graham Bell, or I don't know if I'm getting this, were one of the people who started the uh, the telephone idea. And they're, they're playing on the animal magnetism, as they call it. Some people might consider like the ley lines to be part of this idea. But in my recent research, as I was going into the yogis of India's trying to take apart the yugas, I found an old text from the 1930s where one yogi was saying, you know, we, we've had these abilities, us realized masters, and I can communicate with someone that's a thousand miles away from me. And while nobody believes it's true, I can do that. And you as my disciple know that that's true because I've done it with you. Now consider America. They've, they've created radio, the teletype. Now the telephone is coming to be. And these are all lesser versions that prove the reality is provided within nature in the first place. So there's kind of like the double head. You have a yogi sitting there in a loincloth using the truths of nature to do what he does at a highly realized state. Then you have these scientists over in America physically making these things possible so that they can provide the service so that they can charge. But the point is, it's a lesser version of the original and it works because nature proved that it worked long before they figured out the tools they need to package it and sell it. From the introduction to King Kill 33, the Kennedy assassination has to do with Masonic sorcery, and the information I present in these pages is well known to certain news agencies who have chosen to suppress it, 
just as the motivation for the assassination has been plunged into cryonic secrecy. For facts concerning the assassination are supposed to be revealed in the future, which is a matter of public knowledge. That freeze, wait, revive plan is part of the master plan of Masonic sorcery. So the last line's telling you how you're being initiated into the psycho circus. I think Hoffman may have coined that term, I'm not sure, or something close to it. It's basically a psychotic, abnormal, normalizing of abnormality. And this is exactly how it works, and it matches what we've covered of Tavistock. You do a big event, make people all lopsided and off balance. Then you calm it down for a minute. Then you register it back, and you never let them quite find ever again normalcy for any period of time. When this is done to human beings, they shut down. Some people become alcoholics. Some people just simply quit caring and just want to have happiness or normalcy in their life. And that's what is going on here. The freeze, wait, revive is, is in fact, part of this master plan. And what we're going to get into here is the occult symbolism that Shelby showed us that had to do with the Kennedy assassination. Now, I'll be upfront about this. I don't accept that we've been handed anything that shows a death occurred that day. Everything we've been shown from my point of view is demonstrably fake from the Zapruder film that was held and released some 10 years later. However, it was people have very deftly taken apart that clip to show it doesn't match the elevations of where it was supposed to be filmed. It's just it was it seems to have been put together over 10 years to serve its purpose later when it came out. Champ Shelby Downard, from my point of view, thinks he was killed that day in that place. Now, whether or not Kennedy was actually assassinated, which he may well have been, what we have been shown is not that. And I guess I'll leave it there, Jason. An archetype of betrayal of the common man, i.e. the vulgar herd, has been and is going on, and the betrayal which involves a great deal of fertility and death symbolism is seemingly motivated by the endeavor to bring about syncretism in opposing principles of a mystic power and to green Israel, rebuild the Temple of Solomon, and establish a one-world government. So there it is. We're getting into some of the deepest reaches. If you read anything from James Shelby Downer, you're going to see very quickly how he feels about Freemasonry. But when you read the stories of what he went through, death was always right there. People getting killed in those stories of his life all the time. Traps laid for him, dead kill switches, stairs that he could step on that would trigger a trap that would kill you instantly. These are the kinds of things. But part of the problem, which Hoffman covered when we covered him in episode 487, is that some of the things James Shelby Downer is writing was written tongue-in-cheek. In other words, he's making fun, he's being facetious, or he's being over-exaggerated to make a point. When that got edited, um, that was removed. And I think it was intentionally to make it look like Shelby was kook, because there are things that are over the top. When you read them, you step back and you say, wait a minute, come on, man. Uh, are we doing Harry Potter here? And you won't accept them. And it was later after I had read it and I learned it through Hoffman that the text that needed to accompany what was printed had been pulled. So you couldn't tell that it was intentionally being over the top or facetious or something of that effect. The arch criminals staged managed Dallas in the killing of Kennedy and the news media reaction ever since. There are today thousands or perhaps millions who are apathetic to the control that exists over us and who labor under the misapprehension that somehow life can be beautiful if we only forget and discard our ideals while getting on to the business of consumption. There it is, consumption, hypermaterialism. This is the age we're leaving behind. If the Yugas are right, the Dark Age, the Kali Yuga, was about materialism. If the Yugas are correct and I've interpreted them correctly, or let me restate that, I didn't interpret them. If I have studied them and walked away correctly with accepting the right timeline, we're going into the Dwarpa Yuga, which is all about energy. And what is that energy? That energy is electricity. 
And of course, magnetism will be associated. But this is exactly what it's about. It's about getting you apathetic. And let's just ask a simple question. How on God's green acres of this world could a president be killed and nobody's quite sure how it happened? How could that be after all this time? Well, what's happened is they've shuffled the the Scrabble board. And so the point is, there's never been any closure. In other words, this skit has been open the entire time. Nothing is settled. It's still, the idea of it is still alive in the consciousness. And this event that we're going to talk about, from my point of view, this happened a month before I was born. My lifetime exactly represents the push to take over the entire world under a one world government. And this is the 9-11 of that era, 11-22-63. Let's look at that for a second. That number keeps on giving all day. 11 and 22 is 33. 11 and 63 is 9-11. I mean, I can do it like three or four ways to Sunday with this very malleable date that they chose to do this on. But it was the year of the rabbit, as we are now, the luckiest. Do you notice how they waited to the end of the year? They waited till there was a little more than 30 days left to start to try to skew the, the energies of the year of the rabbit. And they already were, right? Because when you come to the last portion of an energy field, the, the influences that you have been in start falling off as the influences that you're going into pick up. All astrologers know this. The first decan is transition. The center decan of a sign is, oh, we're firmly in these energies. The last decan is the same thing. We're transferring away from them. So you can see what's gone on here. But this event changed the world in ways that will never, ever be quantified. All the adults when I was growing up knew exactly where they were when this occurred. The impact of this event was like a steel-toed boot to the face of America. It could never be explained what happened to this country on that day. It's a good thing they had the space program to look forward to, right? Right. So, you know, if I was going to make my little joke that I make, Moonman's and Woodstock, actually what I would say is Kennedy, because there's the kickoff. And there's been a few. Like, that, that in a way, is equivalent to 9-11, but much more on a social standing. World War One. the people who lived through World War One, people like Steiner have been assessed as having would have said World War One was many times the impact of 9-11. So you see how long this has been going on. But in the 60s, it is on. The football's put on the field and somebody kicks it off and it, it isn't stopped. For all of us that are too young to remember the 60s and the 70s, you can't really quantify the shifts that were going on and what had become of America. It was never going to be the same again. And there were times, like points in the the 70s and most of the 80s, where it was party on. All of a sudden, Lordy B, we can all be happy. There's money. Look at this party. The colors are bright. The music is happy. And this is the freeze-thaw cycle. This is the stable, unstable, stable, unstable cycle. In the 80s, more things were shifted around or shuffled around by government, by banking, by the CFR, by all these places that are a pain in our living butts right now. But everyone was having a party. No one recognized it. But the 60s, this is where... The world we stand in now kicked off officially. I will now make this a matter of record. Most Freemasons apparently have no idea of the evil that is part of Masonry, and if they do know about it, they don't believe it, nor do most members of the clandestine lodges and Masonic-oriented fraternal organizations. The same thing holds true for androgynous Masonic societies and the secret societies of women that are Masonry-oriented. For masonry is a secret, anomalous thing. In other words, most Freemasons are apparently unaware of the Masonic cryptocracy in the United States, and that also holds true for the aforementioned Masonic-oriented societies. So an important thing was said here, and this is the devilish nature of what's gone on. I see it all the time. People want to hate their neighbors because they're Masons. 
You do that, you've been initiated into this nonsense. You're doing exactly what they hoped you would do. You're scapegoating. Your neighbor's not the problem here. And as was stated here, they don't even know what's going on. And even when they've been told that Freemasonry is a problem in the upper reaches, they don't believe it. And this is the problem with all the bigotry that goes on for certain sections. You're scapegoating. You're actually helping the people do what they are doing. When someone does wrong, you have to point. That's where it is. That's who who does it. In a courtroom, you can't just say, well, we think it's this group of people. No. In a real courtroom, even going back to different times in this country, you had to have the evidence that that was the individual who had done the things they had done. And you should never forget that. It is such a problem online, the bigotry and the generalizations that actually scapegoat out the planned scapegoating. Who planned it? They did. The people who put this together are using you like a pawn. But when we come back to earth and we quit scapegoating people out, which has no effect other than to cause unhappiness, which is its true intent, we know what the hell were the Apollo guys doing putting a Masonic flag on the moon that they never went to? How can we ever separate the highest reaches of that organization when we know the moon landing was bunk and they're telling you things like this? Now they're implicated. For that matter, why is it that almost every president we've had is a Mason? But there is a far cry and people should never forget this. Your neighbor is your neighbor. And if you lose sight of that, you've lost sight of a little humanity. And I'm not kidding. But when you go up to the high reaches, it's the same as it ever is. It's the 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 governments, the the ruling, the cryptocracy, cryptocracy. These are the problem, and they are very good at getting us to hate in the wrong places. And it doesn't take much to readjust the way you think about things to get beyond that, so you're not being used like a pawn on a dark chessboard. From the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. It is certain that onomatology, or the science of names, forms a very interesting part of the investigations of the higher masonry, and it is only in this way that any connection can be created between the two sciences. This is a big deal, and people who want to be able to know something more and be aware of what goes on in worlds of world events, that name, place, person, whatever, the names they matter. What's that old cliche we have? What's in a name? Well, everything's in a name when it's being used in this manner. Um, names used to be a big deal back back long before where we are now. Typically, a name was granted to you or assigned to you to try to reflect something that was true of you. Um, that's a long ways behind us. But The name of the word, if you want to look into this, and it's not easy to dig up information on this, is O-N-O-M-A-tology, onomatology, and it is the science of names. And this is one of the biggest keys James Shelby Downard, Downard handed me, because I had already been saying words have meaning, but in my ignorance, I had not comprehended the degree to which names have meaning. The science of names forms only one segment of the science of symbolism used by Masons. Names, i.e. words, in themselves are merely descriptions, and they rise and fall in usage like a Cartesian doll with some words becoming archaic very quickly. What's more, some words are given meanings that are known only to the initiated, while other words are profound and abstruse, so the science of names gets real weird even before it is identifiable as word wizardry by beginning investigators of it. It's not easy, and this is one of the places where James Shelby Downer, just the encyclopedic knowledge in his mind. What I have to do is I go for the etymology every time. I try to figure out, well, what part of the world did this come from? I go at it, and what really kicked me is the first time I read King Kill. I think it's in King Kill. It's definitely Shelby writing, but I think it's in King Kill. He informs us that the original meaning of the Kennedy name in, what is it, Gaelic? Is that right for the Irish? Whatever the original 
form of speaking, I think it's Gaelic, means something like terrible head wound or bloody head wound. And that's what got me thinking. So here's a man way up the chain, high enough to be so-called president, youngest president ever. Wouldn't he know what his name meant in Gaelic? And wouldn't he be aware that he could be pulled into this macabre chess game where people actually do get their lives taken? And this is the conundrum. You're never going to logic your way through it. Did he know? Didn't he know? How could you fall for that? And, and I start going down the line, all these people claiming all these famous people get killed. Well, if you were a famous person, you would talk to other famous people. You would probably have some idea. But to get back to the main point, how could it be that Kennedy's name means basically bloody head wound or horrible head wound of some kind? And there it is. There is the ultimate example of name science being used in a, in a negative way. The Kennedy family is, of course, a family of well-heeled politicians who have done things and been surrounded by history and events as mysterious as any washroom, smoke-filled room, or under-the-table transaction. As strange as it might first appear in reference to a family idolized in millions of issues of supermarket tabloids, one must wonder, in the face of a symbolism and attendant mysticism which surrounds this illustrious family, if somehow they have been used in someone else's game. Are the Kennedys hoodwinked stooges? There it is. So there's the question asked that I was wrestling with in the last paragraph. Are they? Is that even possible? Can you be that high up in the aristocracy of life and put into the game of chess. And I guess what I finally walked away with is, yeah, because look what we got now. Does anyone think Biden has any power? Does anybody? I mean, the man looks like a walking zombie and occasionally it seems like he's probably got dementia, but with what we've covered, we know there's probably two or three Bidens in the wings in case the one they're rolling out today doesn't feel well or can't speak correctly. We know this goes on now. But the point is, is if that is true, that people at that level are hoodwinked, which I think it probably is, then why in the hell would anyone want to be in that position in the first place? Why would you ever seek it? You know, that brings us around to Trump. Is he going to be our president in 2024? I would not be. As a matter of fact, I almost expect that he will be, but that remains to be seen. When JFK was 22, Irene Wiley sculptured a likeness of him as a winged angel. Her work was presented to the Vatican, where it was used as a part of a panel in which the angel hovers over St. Teresa while she writes in a book. After his fatal trip to Dallas, President Kennedy's remains were codenamed Angel, and that was also the name of the Flying Hearse, or Air Force One, which returned him to the Capitol. So people who are not familiar with the history of JFK should know a few things. He was loved like no other president was loved in my lifetime. He was Catholic. Huge deal. For if I'm not mistaken, first openly Catholic president. And where is he? He's off at the Vatican. And what is Shelby doing here? He's showing how the spell gets spun. So he's showing that a sculptor did this thing. The name mattered. What she was doing mattered. Where it was being done mattered to the point where if I followed this correctly, the unspoken thing is, is that the Vatican has some connection to the final outcome. But there it is. John F. Kennedy was born on May 29th, 1917 at 83 Beals Street, Brookline, Massachusetts. Beals, B-E-A-L-S, B-E-A-L-E, B-E-A-L, are names associated with the Kennedys through the magic and mystery of words. Beale onomatology is rendered thus. L-E-L, Bell, B-E-L, Bal, B-A-A-L, Beal, B-E-A-L, and Beal, B-E-A-L-E. L is said to be one of the Hebrew names of God, signifying the Mighty One. It is the root of many other divine names and, therefore, many of the sacred names in masonry. Approximately one mile from Lindisfarne, the holy island, I, holy house, is a barren place known as Beal, B-E-A-L. 
Lindisfarne is associated with Harrodom and the legends of King Arthur, the Round Table, Merlin, and other Camelot stories, as well as the Scottish Black Watch. So this is where it gets into a level of knowing where nobody's going to touch people like Shelby. And even in the research of it, you're going to have to get good. Would you be able to take the name of where JFK was born, Beale Street, and then run it down? Beals, B-E-A-L, then add an E to the end, then strip the E, then add an S, then recognize that it goes to Bell, Ball, Beale, and this goes on and on. It's going to come to Beale Street. Has everyone heard of Beale Street, where music was so big down south? Um, He runs the line out, but here he's also showing you that these other legends, these thought forms that have been with us for centuries, King Arthur and the Round Table and Merlin, there's your magic, and he's going to tie it off to the Black Watch. Apparently, there's more to all these mythical fairy tales than we've been led to believe. Is it just that it's in our minds, that there's a thought form in the world around it? Is it something more? And as he gets in here and takes this apart, I think at first the average mind will say, this guy's insane. There's nothing to this. There were times when I was first reading it, when I thought that, when I considered. And part of the problem was what I told you before. Someone had stripped out when he was being facetious or overdoing it on purpose to make a point. And when I finally realized all this, I figured, This all seems valuable in some way. In some ways, it seems over the top. How could this world possibly be this psychotic and insane, the psycho circus? And so I started applying it. And what you find is that it works. Um, You can take apart almost any of these things, and you begin to find that everything is, in fact, connected. But then the point comes. Is it connected because some dark wizard somewhere is pushing all the pieces on the chessboard? Or is it chance? And I think everybody can work that out on their own. There is no such thing as chance in this world. My study of place names imbued with sorcerous significance necessarily includes lines of latitude and longitude and the divisions of degrees in geography and cartography, minutes and seconds. Let us take as an example the Mason Road in Texas that connects to the Mason Noel Bar and the Texas-New Mexico, the land of enchantment, border. This connecting line is on the 32nd degree. The 32nd degree in masonry of the Scottish Rite is the next to the highest degree awarded. When this 32nd degree line of latitude is traced west into the land of enchantment, it becomes situated midway between Deming and Columbus, New Mexico. Slightly to the north of the town of Columbus are the Trace Hermanas, the Three Sisters, mountains. It is approximately 32 miles between Deming and Columbus, and the Three Sisters Mountains are a minute and some seconds south of the 32nd degree line. When this line is traced further to the west, it is found to pass the ghost town of Shakespeare at a distance south of the town that is roughly equivalent to the distance which the 32nd degree line passes north of the Three Sisters Mountains. The names Shakespeare and the Three Sisters find their connection in the tragedy of Macbeth. When this 32nd degree line is traced some little distance farther west into Arizona, it crosses an old trail which meandered north of what is now another ghost town, but which at one time was the town of Ruby. Part of the old winding trail became known as the Ruby Road, The town of Ruby is established to have acquired its name officially on April 11, 1912, when a post office commenced operation. The town became notorious for many brutal murders which had ritual aspects. Four of these homicides occurred in a store attached to the post office, which had been erected over the grave of a Catholic priest. Continuing on with mystical toponymy, one encounters the fact that the Ruby Road twists north into the area of two mountain peaks that are known as the Kennedy and Johnson Mountains. All right, man. Anybody listening think this is simple? Anyone listening thinks that just some good researcher might get to the bottom of what's being laid down here? These are the keys. 
And even once you have the keys, some people just won't have the skill or the knowledge set to use the keys. I would imagine I worked hard at it and I feel like I'm a million miles from where he was, but I know enough to see that there's something here. It's more than just something. Look, man, he's taken lines of latitude, minutes and seconds, 32nd degree. How is it that we overlook that? He's pointing to a place he says is a problem, masonry, and how do they rank? Well, in degrees. So how is it that we didn't catch that on every map where anything happens, it's marked out in degrees? But he drops a big one here, Macbeth. Jason, do you remember when Google put the algorithm to censor my name in and they took out my YouTube channel? Do you remember what episode we were on? Well, I know we were talking about the Las Vegas incident. We were talking about Mandalay Bay, and we had tied it to what? To scene one, act one of Macbeth. Macbeth is a big deal, and it's not entirely clear to me, but there's some historical, mystical, magical thing being laid down in Macbeth. And what's ironic is in my father's era, everyone had read it. In my era, almost no one. They're still remaking it. I think in the 2020s or 2019s recently, they remade another version of Macbeth. But what was it, Jason? We were with James Alfred, who has removed himself from this space to have a family and not be bothered. Act one, scene one, three witches. Remember the three Hermanas? And on and on it goes. They're in a desert. And we're talking about the Mandalay Bay incident, which fooled everybody. Everybody had already come to the conclusion that the news was spouting nonsense. And then this event happened. And that's what got us into trouble. Remember, Jason, I said, I don't want to cover this. It's risky. But look at all the people that are buying into this nonsense. This one was done so effectively that almost everybody was buying in. And so what do we do? We showed what are the three witches doing? They're casting a little spell here. And what are they doing? They're using a, I'm talking about Macbeth, act one, scene one, I think. They're using a familiar, a demon familiar. In this case, I think it's a toad, maybe. Uh, Paddock is his name. Does anyone remember the shooter in Mandalay? What was his name? Paddock. And so we outed this. And the swift result of that was as follows. They took out my channel with no warning, no nothing. And I mean, they deleted it. It had been running for a long time and it had videos embedded all over the internet. Every one of those links broke. As you know, if you know anything about the internet, typically when links break, after about a week of a broken link, they try to clean them up when they can catch them. So these, I don't know, was it hundreds of thousands of video? Probably was. There was a time before this happened when searching Crow 777 got you 16 to 25 million returns real, not like they do it now, where they claim they gave you 10,000 returns, but the first page is the only unique one. Then they start just redoing the same searches. It was real back then, page after page after page. And the reason was because everyone had embedded so much of my work all over the internet. That's why there were so many. Well, they deleted me. Three weeks later, they put it back. Why? Who the hell knows why? I think why is because they don't want you doing things they don't want, but they don't want you leaving because they can't see what you're doing. That's what I think is true. Anyhow, they put it back and a search for my name on the very day they put it back three weeks later, my search name goes down to a thousand or 2000 hits from 16 to 25 million. You try to search the lunar wave and put my name on it. It goes down to even less, even searching the original 2012 lunar wave becomes almost a thing of the past. And it was all because we tied it to Macbeth and here what's going on is the master is showing you the magic and what it's related to. And you should go back and listen to the paragraph Jason just read, or if you really want to know some things, you need to go read King Kill. And again, I think the only person you're getting the whole text from is Michael Hoffman on his website. Thank God for that, because I think it's been censored everywhere else. But this is crazy. You heard all the things Jason broke down, and we've been trained from birth to hear a thing like Jason just said and think you're out of your damn mind. There's no way that's going on in the world I know. King Kill's only 89 pages long, by the way, so it's not a heavy read at all. And you got to ask yourself, who was naming all these places? 
at these locations. It's really something. There's more that we should add. Like you laid down so many of the keys in just that one paragraph, but where are they very interested in? The land of enchantment. Why? Go look up the word enchantment. There's something magical about this place. And before the white people got here, there was something magical about that place. Anyone ever been to Sedona? This place been magical for a long, long time. Why is it that the, wait for it, Trinity, words have meaning, names even more, the Trinity test site is right here, right off the 33rd parallel where the fake nuclear bomb was first detonated. Um, On and on it goes. But this part of the country is freaking magical. And I'll ask a simple question. Why is it that all the space agency is right there in Texas in this vicinity? Well, let's keep going, Jason. An arch magician of high degree, according to sorceress lore, was the third king of the Jews, who was named Shalomo and called Solomon. The principal legends of masonry emanate from Solomon and the fabled temple bearing his name. Every lodge is and must be a symbol of the Temple of Solomon. Each master in the chair is representative of that perfidious Jewish king. Though not all lodges are willing to frankly admit this identification with the ancient synagogue of Sin, there is in Tombstone, Arizona, one which does publicly adhere to this label. Tombstone, Arizona was connected by a variety of old trails to the Ruby Road and the town of Ruby, which witnessed so many brutal killings. So he keeps pointing out the brutal killings because the history of a place matters as well because that bad energy is there. Many people were killed here. They're going to leverage on that historical, I don't even know how to describe it, imprint, that remnant of this horror and taking of life. Now think about what it means to do sacrifices, because that's what's being pointed out here. The Ruby Road, he's going to go on and on and on. We're going to get to a point where Jason's taking apart the assassination, and he's going to say, well, who is this Jack Ruby near the Ruby Road? Oh, it's the Ruby Slippers from Oz. And on and on it goes. How does a human being ever draw these lines? For whatever reason, James Shelby Downer was a savant. How he knew these things? I've asked Michael Hoffman, and he just, he knew. For whatever reason, he knew. But here's the kick in the keister. Every Masonic lodge is a replica of the supposed, they call it here correctly from my point of view, fabled temple of Solomon. Now, if you go back to the old research we did, like when I was trying to come up and research a more reasonable way of how Rome actually fell, this comes into it. This temple that they're replicating stood for like 30 or 40 years, something like that, almost no time at all. And it has entered our world since that, I'll just say fabled time in ways that people can't imagine. Every Masonic temple is echoing this tiny period of time, according to history, whether you accept it or not. Even the Sistine Chapel is a version of that fabled temple. I kid you not, that is almost all Hebraic Old Testament artwork in there. And when people started to catch on, they started adding some other things from the New Testament. I've read books that said, oh, they fooled the Pope. I'm not buying. The Pope knew damn well what was going on. But here we are back where? In Tombstone, Arizona. Is there much myth about that place, I would ask? And the last point for hour one. On November 21st, 1963, President and Mrs. Kennedy and Vice President and Mrs. Johnson journeyed to Houston, Texas, and the Rice Hotel. The hotel suite they used for their four-hour visit is called the Gold or International Suite. A solid gold service was used at the meal served in the suite and a fiery red crab meat cocktail, avec les deux sauces, was served to the President and the First Lady. Does one by any chance think of a red sauce for the gods having anything to do with a sacrificial altar? Does gold pertain in any way to the sun god? Kennedy was certainly given a red carpet treatment. So here we are. It's the day before the deed. 
they're in the mystical Southwest or very close to it. And what's interesting to me, I've always recognized is they're in the Rice Hotel. And when I first started to make statements about space, I couldn't get any further. I, I wanted to go further with my telescope, but I couldn't. I'd, I'd hit a wall. I couldn't, I couldn't get any more from it. So I went to language, probably having learned something from Shelby, by the way. And it's the Rice College speech. I think it's given twice. We're going to the moon. And who gave it? Kennedy gave it. Now here he is at the Rice Hotel. It's got to be a connection, right? I've just never taken the time. But what he's doing is he's showing you a solid gold service. Wouldn't it seem funny in this day and age if you saw one of our presidents go somewhere and get a solid, actually, all the dishes are gold? That would kind of stand out in this day and age. But back then, he was so loved in America. We had so much pride in America. It can't be stated. We were the best at everything. The 50s had boomed. Everyone had families. So many people had homes. One person worked, and it was just a completely different world from where we are now. But what you're showing is the tee up, as he puts it here, a sacrificial altar for what's about to happen. Anyhow, you want to add anything, Jason? Well, I don't think I really actually said this at the beginning of the show. Everything I'm reading is verbatim taken out of the King Kill 33 text, just so people know this isn't my own writing or your own writing. No, and it has to be because the master's the master. If you read the the kind of weird biography-ish of his life, I think you begin to realize how dangerous whatever. Actually, his life was implicated in ways almost like he was born and there was a plan for his mother and dad already and a plan for him that he was having none of. But when you get into this, I can't rewrite this. Jason can't rewrite this. We have to lift the words verbatim. Every little indicator is doing something to inform you. But here we are. We're at the Rice Hotel. He's getting a solid gold sacrificial altar service. The sun god, don't forget, the sun god, the killing of the king. It's going to relate to that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. This has been hour one of episode 491, and we're going to continue on. These are big episodes. And anyone who wants to get a copy of King Kill, Jason said it's not a heavy read. I think I would would revise this. It's not a long read. It's less than 90 pages, but there's more information than you can imagine uh, in those pages. With that, Hour One is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. Starting on this episode, there is a new audio player. If it works out fine for everybody, it has a bunch of new functions. Uh, We'll roll it back through the entire 480-some episodes, both free and full. With that, I would like to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And this is a big episode. The information that you could glean and the texts or books that you could get to read would put you in an entirely different world with regard to dealing with what we call, wait for it, news. There it is, man. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing.